It is that goodness that we want to share with everyone, everywhere. In fact, that's why when you came in today, you may have noticed um, we have some, uh, some flags represented in the atrium. These are flags because here in just a few short weeks, we're kicking off our Global Missions Conference. And I hope that you're planning on being a part of that the first week of October. There's so many things that are going to be happening for families, for men, for women, for young adults that week concerning sharing the goodness of God to nations around the world. In fact, um, we have many of the missionaries that we support here at the chapel that are going to be here that week that we get to talk to, pray with, encourage, be encouraged by them, hear what's going on around the world where they are. So I plan on just being here for that, that first week of October. It's going to be an awesome time together. Now, um, I have some good news for you today. If you've ever been someone who's gone to church, not not this church, of course, but another church, and maybe their service was uh, boring. Or maybe you felt a little groggy during the service. Maybe even you started to doze off during the service. I, I have some good news for you today. You're not alone, okay? I guarantee you, no matter what you've done in a service, perhaps you have dozed off, you've fallen asleep, perhaps your husband has been the one or your wife the one to elbow you in the ribs because you're snoring. Yes, I've heard snoring. Maybe you've spilled your coffee. Yes, we have coffee spills on the floor because of that. You dropped your Bible, your head's bobbed. I don't care what it is that you have done. It's not as bad as what happened to this poor guy in Acts chapter 20, where we're going to be today, I want to start by showing you this. It says in verse 9, Paul spoke on and on. He was a bit long-winded, is what it's saying. He talked for a while. A young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Poor guy, I can almost just picture him sitting there, trying to keep his eyes open. He's listening to Paul, his head's bobbing. But then this happens. Finally, he fell sound asleep, dropped three stories to his death below. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing not because the poor guy died. That's not why I'm laughing. But the situation is, is, is comical here, to say the least. But then, good news, Paul went down, bent over him, took him into his arms and said, Don't worry, he's alive. It's like I can picture this scene, can't you? Like Paul going, He's good. He's good. We're, we're all good here. And then this is the best part. After that, they all went back upstairs. They shared in the Lord's Supper and ate together. And Paul continued talking to them until dawn. And then he left. I love that stories like this are included in Scripture. I, I love that this is put in there. You know, I, here's this poor guy falls asleep, dies. Paul brings him back to life. And then they just go back upstairs and have communion, eat a little bit more, and then Paul keeps talking. I find this whole thing comical. And although this is in chapter 20, and I would encourage you to read it and check it out for yourself in chapter 20, this isn't where I want to camp out today. I was just having fun with this. Actually, we want to jump a little bit further down in Acts chapter 20. And um, we're going to really be in, in verses 16 through 21 today. And so, um, and just in case you're wondering, this whole thing is why we don't have a balcony here at church. 
And I just want to say, stay awake today because you never know what might happen. So let's jump into verse 16 together. It says this. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. This is a big deal. But when we landed in Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church of Ephesus, asking them to come and to meet with him here. Now, based on this story, we know, we know Miletus is about 30 miles or so away by land from Ephesus. And, and, and we know that Paul must have had some kind of a, a layover or something here while he was waiting as his, before his trip continued. And so while he was there, he thought, man, it would be great to see these church leaders from Ephesus once again before I leave. He, he, he desired to see him, and so he called for these leaders to come to him where he was while he was on his layover. And so, so they came, and we know that Paul cared deeply for these church leaders. He loved them. He had compassion for them. He just wanted to reconnect with them one more time before he left. And then it goes on in verse 18 to say this. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly, and with many tears I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. You know, my picture of Paul, and maybe you've gotten this picture too as we've been in Acts together, is one of of strength. Paul's boldness, his, his strength, his confidence. In fact, there's been times where I've been reading a few passages of Scripture um, when I almost thought, man, Paul seemed even a little cocky at times. And so I I love that this verse is included because this gives us a window into Paul's heart here. He was humble. And and not only humble, but he he shed many tears. These, These tears were tears that were compassionate tears. They were loving tears. They were tears of of care for people, his concern for people. And it's really important that we understand this is Paul's heart, his heart for care and love and compassion. And it's important that we understand that that is his heart because of what he says next in verse 20. He goes on to say this, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear either publicly or in your homes. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. You know, as I read that, it occurred to me there's, there's really two types of pers- people that you, you kind of fit into. And as you read this, depending on the type of person that you are, you can kind of perceive this verse in one of two ways. The first way is, is the person that would hear this verse and they would go, Yes, Paul, you tell them. You give it to them. You tell them what's on your mind. You tell them what you think. And who cares who it hurts or whose feelings you hurt? You lay it all out there and you say what you need to say. Go for it, Paul. Do it. That's the first type of person. The first type of person, however, I would say this. They're often really good at speaking truth, which we need those people. But they're often not really good at hearing truth. And often when they give it, it's not done with care 
or, or sensitivity. But then there's the second group of people. The second group of people that could hear this first would think totally different. This is the kind of person that is the opposite. They dread telling people hard things. They dread tough conversations. They, 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 they live almost in fear of having these conversations. These are the people that we would consider to be the people pleasers. They're, they're people that don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. They don't want to cause arguments. They want everyone just to be okay all the time. And the problem with here is that these people they, they can often hear truth with sensitivity, and they will hear it humbly, but they're not very good at giving truth. They're not very good at saying what needs to be said. Both types of these people have amazing strengths, but also both types have some weaknesses too. That's why I love when Paul says, I never shrank back from telling you what you need to hear either publicly or in your homes. What he's saying here is the perfect combination of both strength and of power and yet of total humility and love and compassion for these people. It's the perfect mix. And so Paul's saying here, I never shrank back this word is actually in the original, in the original text. The language for this word is a word called hypostolo. This is a word that means to withdraw, to draw back, to keep back, to shun, to, to conceal. What Paul's saying is, look, I didn't hypostolo here. I didn't shrink back from telling you what you needed to hear. And what they needed to hear was important. It was an important message that Paul had for him. So what was that important message Paul had for him? Well, he goes on in the next verse to tell us what that is. Verse 21 says, I've had one message. One, for the Jews and for the Greeks. Meaning this message is for everybody. No one's left out. This is it. The necessity of repenting from sin, turning to God, and having faith in the Lord Jesus. He says, this is my message. Repent from sin, turn to God, and have faith in the Lord Jesus. Primarily, Paul was concerned with one thing. He was concerned with people's spiritual condition. Not just the people in Ephesus, but people everywhere. He cared about their spiritual condition. He cared about their souls and their hearts. And he wanted to make sure they knew who Jesus was and that they were turning away from their sins and they were putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And in fact, he said this is his one main message. And this was the same message he gave to the Jews. Those were the people who were rule followers and they followed tradition. Those people, as well as for the Greeks, those people who may have been totally pagan and served and worshipped multiple gods. This message was for all of them. And the message had to do with repentance. Now, if you don't typically come to church, or maybe you're a guest with us today, or maybe you're not as familiar with church, you hear this word repentance, and I know what it sounds like. It sounds like judgment. And it sounds like bashing. No, no, no. This isn't what repentance means. So let me clarify what, what he's talking about here, just so that we're on the same page. Repentance means to change your mind. That's it. To change your mind. It means changing your mind about who God is. 
It means changing your mind about who, who you think we are. It means changing your mind about the things that you thought were okay and aligning yourself with the things that, that God says is okay. It's about changing your mind in the direction of your life totally. It's going, I was heading this way and I need to change and start heading this way. That is what it means to repent. And it's interesting that in the original language, in the original text of this, this word repentance here and the word faith in this, in this verse, having faith, they are right next to each other. In fact, they're only separated by one article, which means they're like two sides of a coin. You can't have one without the other. They go together, repentance and faith. And Paul says, I didn't shrink back from telling you to repent. That means I didn't shrink back from telling you to change directions, to change your mind, to stop heading this way and start heading this way. That means to turn from pride and selfishness and control and start heading towards faith in Jesus Christ. And I, and I know that's not always easy. Is it? It's not always easy to hear that message when it's spoken to you. But it's also not always easy to speak that message to someone else. But Paul loved them, and he cared for them, and he was compassionate for them. And because of his love and care, he knew he had to speak that truth to them, the truth that would point them ultimately to Jesus. Paul had to do it because he loved them. That's why he said, look, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. It was a strong truth, but it was wrapped and it was delivered with such love and such care. In fact, it was just a few verses later that Paul goes on to say a similar thing, but he also says his conscience is clear. Listen to this in verse 26 and 7. He says, I declare today I've been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. As a, as a pastor, and really as a church, as a, as a body of believers, all of us here, we always want to love people, we always want to care for people, and sometimes, sometimes that means saying things that are hard. It means speaking truth, even when it's hard to hear. It, it's, it's challenging people to think about their lives and the direction they're headed. That's, that's, that's what we should not be afraid to do, to, to call people to repentance and turn to Jesus. And we don't want to shrink back from that. And that's why we're okay having tough conversations. It's why at times you might walk away from a Bible study or you might walk away from a class or a small group or a weekend service and you might feel some conviction or some challenge in your heart. We, we, I, I know I, I do sometimes, and Paul loved this Ephesian church, and he loved them too much not to speak this truth to them, even when it was hard to hear. And the word that Paul is really speaking of here is a word in our language that we call candor. We don't, we don't hear that word or think about that word much, but it's a word called candor. It, it simply means this, it's, it's unreasonable. Unreserved, it's honest, it's a sincere expression, it's a, it's a forthrightedness. 
And, and don't get me wrong. This isn't permission to say whatever you want to say, whenever you want to say it, however you want to say it. That's not what this is. Candor goes much deeper. In fact, this author wrote this book called Candor, and in it he gave four keys to speaking candor. These four keys, I believe Paul possessed these four. And if we're going to have tough conversations with people, then we need to possess these four keys too. So let me just share with you quickly these keys this morning, see if we can help each other out. The first key to candor is to speak unspoken truth. Those are the things that you hold back. Those are the times when you're having conversations and in the midst you go, man, I, would, I should tell this person about Jesus. I should share my faith with this person. I should share my story with them. I should tell them how my life changed because of what Jesus did to me. I, I should invite them to church. I should do these things. You have these, but you don't. You hold it back. Yeah, it says, if we're going to have candor with people, we need to be willing to speak the unspoken truth, even when it's hard to say. And, and I'm going to share a couple of tips on how to do that in just a minute, so I'm going to scoot next, I'll pass this to the next keys. Key number two is a, is a powerful key with love. We, we, we need to wrap this truth in love. It's interesting, as Paul was was writing to the Ephesian church. This is one of the things he said in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing, why? And growing in every way more and more like Christ. You speak the truth in love so that we can be more like Christ. This is, this is an important key here. Because you know, we can speak truth to one another all day long. But if there's no love, it means nothing. It, it's unheard if there's no love. In fact, that is why I think Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. He says, look, I could be wise and I could have faith and I could be generous and I could be gifted and I could be all these things. But if I don't have love, it's for nothing. It's for nothing. The truth spoken in love has a power. Truth spoken without love, nothing. Meaningless. But then he goes on to say this not only should we speak unspoken truth and speak it in love, but then he says what Paul says when needed. In fact, remember Paul that said, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either in you publicly or in your homes. You know, this one kind of hit me in a different way this week. Um, and if you're a parent, you probably know this, especially if you're a parent of teenagers. I have two teenagers, so pray for me. But I, I was thinking about this. And so often, when I speak what is needed, I am guilty of wrapping what is needed with 20 other line items. So, so I, I tell them what is needed but I also tell them my opinion and I tell them my thoughts and I tell them the direction they should go and I tell them my control for them and I tell them all these things. I lay down my agenda all within what is needed in the middle and what is needed gets lost because I'm so busy wrapping it with so many other things. Paul says, I told you what was needed. This wasn't all of this stuff. It was this it was what was needed 
he shared with them. And so I encourage you, lay down your agendas, lay down your opinions and your control, and speak what is needed to be said so that it can be received well. So speak unspoken truth in love when needed. And then this fourth key is, is, I don't know, it might be the most powerful one. It's to the benefit of others. The fourth key, the benefit of others. This isn't just speaking truth just to speak truth and just to, to vent or put someone in their place or let them know what you really feel or to get something off your chest. You just want to relieve yourself. No, no, no. That is not for the benefit of others. It's actually, when you, when you are speaking this truth, it's to elevate the other person, to help them because you care for their soul, because you, you care for their integrity, for their reputation. And it's saying something hard, not because you want to tear them down, but because you want to raise them up. You want to elevate them. You want them to become more like Jesus. It's for their benefit. And so, Paul, again, was speaking to some of the leaders at Ephesus, and he wrote these words to them once again in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, look, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. He says, may your words be good and helpful and encouragement. May what you speak to someone benefit them. Raise them up, not tear them down. Four keys of candor. Now, um, as we close today, I, I just I want to give you just a practical, simple way that we can do this together. And this isn't something that is new to you. Um, I might just be putting some words to it you hadn't thought of yet. Um, this is something that we do here on staff as the chapel, so anyone on staff that would be familiar with this lingo, and maybe it helps you today to take what you want, use what you want, maybe this helps. But here at the church, as a staff, we use what is called the 5% conversation, or often we say, saying the last 5%. Let me explain. All of us have conversations, and many of us have, have tough conversations with one another. And most of us in those conversations are willing to say 95% of what needs to be said. We're willing to say 95% because that's, that's the easy part. 95% is the part that we know the person will receive well. It's the part that I know I can say and say it pretty safely. 95% is the percentage of, of the conversation that I think can, I can say what I want to say, but I can do it nicely and nobody's upset and we walk away and it's all good. That's the 95% of the conversation. But here's the problem with that. It's usually the remaining 5% that is the most important to say. That's the 5% that I really should have spoken, that I, that I held back. And I held it back out of fear or out of avoidance or I wanted just to keep the peace. And, and we, we, we want to share this 5%. And funny enough, we're willing to share this 5% with everyone else except the person that needs it. That's... That's the 5%. And you're going to know if it's the 5%. And I'll tell you how you'll know it's the 5%. Because you'll, 
you'll walk away going, oh, man, I really, I really felt like I should have said this, and I didn't. Or you'll wake up the next morning after hoping you forgot, but it's still on your mind. I still, it's, it's still something I should have... I should have said, and you shrank back from saying it, but they, you needed to. You needed to. Why? Because you had to get it off your chest? No. You had to because you love them, and you care for them, and, and, and you needed it for the, the health of your relationship. You needed it to say it for the health of their relationship with Jesus. You, you needed to say it for the good of their soul so that they could change direction and head toward Jesus. It's why it needed to be said. And the Apostle Paul here, he says, my conscience is clear. I, I, I never shrank back from telling the Ephesians what they needed to hear. But when he did it, he spoke the truth. He spoke it with love. He spoke it with what was needed. And he spoke it to the benefit of others, and I'm challenged by this, and I, I hope you are too. But let's, so let me, in these last couple minutes, leave you with, with two questions. Two simple questions. Who do you maybe need to have a 5% conversation with? Who do you need to have? Is it maybe your, maybe your spouse or your kid or a coworker or someone at school or someone you live with? I, I don't know. Who, who is it? But let, me, but let me say this, before you have that 5% conversation with them, could you ask yourself these questions? Ask yourself, what is truly needed to be said? Not all the things I want to say. No, 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 because sometimes I don't say the things I want to say. That's just self-control. But what is needed to be said? What is the key? Yeah. I want you to think about it before you have this conversation. What is needed? But also think about this. Think about, is this truly for this person's benefit? Is this going to raise this person up? Is this for their good? Is this because I care for their soul? Is this because I care for this, their relationship with Jesus? If you can say yes to those, then, then have the conversation. Um, the second question I want to leave you with is this. Let's flip it. Maybe what is some of the last 5% someone needs to have with me? In fact, um, maybe even if you're writing these down, I have a better question than even this one. Maybe the better question should be, how will I respond to my 5% conversation someone has with me? Will I respond with humility and, and care? Or will I respond with anger? And defensiveness. How will you respond in these moments? You know, Paul is about to shove off and head to Jerusalem, and, and honestly, he may or may not see these people from Ephesus ever again. But before he left, he took a moment to just remind them that, that he could say with confidence, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. So it was with that message, I say, let's not shrink back. Let's share the truth but share it in love. That last 5% matters, and it's for the benefit of the other person. And I love what Paul says just before he leaves this meeting. Then he's speaking to these Ephesian leaders. He says these words in the last couple of verses. He says, And now I am bound by the Spirit, 
to go to Jerusalem. And I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. He knows this. And then he says these, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul wanted his life to really matter and he wanted his life to count for something and he wanted to be used by Jesus to do all that he was asked to do and he was committed to saying the hard things. What what was that? The good news he was focused on. The wonderful grace of God. Let's not hold back that message. That is the truth. We should speak freely. Don't shrink back from it even when it's hard. And that's what's important. Say the last 5% with love and always point to the grace of Jesus Christ. I hope that helps. You know, let's, um, let me pray and then I'm going to uh, ask you to stand for a benediction. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the truth of your scripture. Thank you that, boy, it worked, um, it worked in my heart this week, spending time with it. And um, so I thank you for that, Lord. I just pray that as a church, as believers and followers of yours, Lord, that we would make note of these critical things, critical things on what we need to say and how we need to say it, who we need to say it to. Lord, just give us wisdom in these moments. Thank you for the example of Paul, too, Jesus, that we have to look to. We love you, Lord. Help us today. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, stand with me. I'll leave you with this benediction again from Paul in Acts chapter 20. He says this, and I say this to you today. Now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.